The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Welcome to The Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And we are just like going to go off the cuff today. <laughs> this is episode six. Episode six. Oh man, we have some stuff to talk about. Um, I think what we're that just, stuff is. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't even think we know exactly what the topic is today. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask you that before the show. Yes. Yeah, so I'm from our discussions before the show, like last week and the week before that. Um, <laughs> I think where we're really gonna go is like, uh the personal destiny like where are you ending up it's kind of a back uh, a piggyback off of last week or last it's episode kind of a sequel yeah kind of a sequel because like we i did touch on some of it from my side like you know there's the uh the redemption from the the fall but like where does that lead to what does that look like in the end like what is our ultimate destiny like and i'm going more at it like towards a personal destiny, like an individual destiny, because there is a big picture destiny that we'll eventually get to, um, from my point of view. That's, that's a very interesting, uh, point to make, to differentiate between a personal destiny versus like the bigger picture destiny. Yeah. And it is hard for me to differentiate that as well. So maybe we will accidentally get into the big picture destiny because, well, I think spoiler, like maybe spoiler alert, but like from a Buddhist standpoint, um, at least from like a Theravada standpoint, they are, you could say they're exactly the same. And you could also say there's no bigger picture. (laughs) Like, (laughs) end goal a Mahayana might uh might disagree a little with that with the idea of liberating all sentient beings um as the end goal but okay semantics really I think when it comes down to it but no and I can see like it's hard for me because like as I'm thinking of things on my side it is one and the same like it's all for one goal basically and um and trying all for to one and one for all. Yeah, and trying to differentiate the uh like okay, no, maybe I'll leave that part out for the other topic. Like maybe I'll just throw it all in one, summarize it a little more than I would want to, but Yeah. I like I could easily go off onto like There's rabbit trails. Beauty trail, so. and brevity. There's also beauty in detail. <laughs> <laughs> Not for an hour long podcast. No. <laughs> so, so let's go. Okay. So, um, so yeah, I guess I'll start off like with a per with a destiny. Like, where does thing where do things lead to? And this kind of this kind of came from the uh, the conversation, and it might not have even been what the conversation was supposed to be, but in the back of my mind, with um, Brittany, our guest last episode, um, talking about some like. She brought up the word destiny, and that stuck with me. I don't know if that's what she was looking for or not, but um, we talked. I think if I could speak on her behalf, I could clarify what she was asking exactly, but which might be a little off topic. And maybe we'll save that for for after the show or uh, 
maybe post credit post <laughs> post credit scene or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but as I was looking at our last episode, we from the biblical point of view, we were looking at sin and the redemption from sin through Jesus and like that's basically what we talked about i'm like okay i want to talk about where that leads like what does that mean for for a believer or maybe for a non-believer like what what does that look like in the end so and i really have a hard time like pinpointing a beginning point for this because last week was a good or last episode was a good beginning point and uh I was thinking, like, what is a destiny look like for uh, a Christian? But there are lots, there are like, there's more than one answer to that because um, destiny for who? I mean, I said like for a Christian, but like in the Christian worldview, there are, there's uh, like God makes a covenant with the natural world, like with animals, with even with plants, you could see a sort of covenant with them, with mankind, with the nation of Israel. I mean, really with creation in general, like sin's impact on the world wasn't just man's soul being condemned to, uh, to, uh, an eternity, uh, based off of his choice, but it's really, Sin impacted the whole world. It started with the angelic world. It was passed on to mankind. And through mankind, mankind was supposed to be the the shepherd of the world. Like, lead, like he had a very close relationship with the earth, with animals. Um, animals had a close relationship with each other and they didn't hurt any in each other. They didn't, they weren't scared of man. Um, but sin ruined that all sin brought forth. The Bible talks about specifically like thorns and thistles and like those plants that instead of being beneficial to us now can harm us, you know, poison ivy and stuff. And um, it doesn't, you know, like in Genesis, God, Basically, I don't know if it was like a, a, you know, punishment or whatever, but he was like, you know, you've up until now, you haven't had to toil for your food, but now you will toil exactly over yeah. the earth and yep. sweat for your bread. Yep. Now. Yeah. Since the since sin entered into mankind, the, the things aren't things don't come to us uh, as easily as they could. Um, we we have to. Yeah, we have to uh, garden by the sweat of our brow. Like we have to uh, 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 turn the land, you know, take all the weeds out because now the weeds, based off of uh, a cursed earth, the weeds are now getting in the way. Um, and maybe before there was, it was beneficial. I don't want to get too off track. Um, there's a lot of we could say about what it was and what it can, what it will be. But that's um, how sin had affected, like, the plant and the plant life, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. It, it, it impacted the plant life, the animals. I mean, there's something to be said about that because, to me, it looks like, um, like animal, the animal kingdom didn't really get a, too much affected until after the flood of Noah because 
God specifically says to Noah, like, like the animals are going to be like at, like, uh, against you, you know, like afraid of you, you know, walking through the forest, a deer doesn't just come up to you and lick your face. It runs away from you warning others about your presence. So the animal uh, kingdom was affected. Um, and the, I mean, the Bible says in, in general, the creation groaneth, it groans because of the, the, the presence of sin. Um, so there's really a destiny for all of that. There's an end, there's an end to it all that works out for the better. Um, and I mean, the Bible talks about all of, all of, all of that, even the stars, even the, the, the universe, there's a remedy for it. Um, there's something to be said about its destiny. Um, and I might, I might touch on a couple of that, uh, a couple, a couple of those points, but what about mankind? Like what is our destiny because of the sin in the world? And then because of the redemption found through God's grace in every dispensation, we find God's grace everywhere. Um, and there is, there is, there is a destiny in it all, um, so we see with, um, I'm, I'm going to do a quick overview of like, where do men end up? Like what happens to man? Um, there's a few, uh, there's a few places man's soul will go and we'll talk about soul, spirit, body, and not everything like that in another episode, but really, um, really, I mean, I, I, it's all the soul, spirit, and body's destiny. There's something for it all. <laughs> um, but where are the places of destiny? We see in the Bible that uh, there's a heaven and there's hell. There's the earth and the universe. And so really like four main realms, if you will. Um, heaven, you know, beyond beyond the universe is the third heaven as we call it as paul uh, calls it in his one of his epistles um the second heaven is universe first heaven is this open firmament of the earth this open atmosphere and then there's hell which is in the center of the earth according to the bible and uh they all have a place in destiny they all have a point in destiny in for mankind um i guess let me start with where did where what happens to mankind from the beginning of the world like adam and eve going through let's say like even with like moses and all the the prophets in the old testament what happens to them well for for mankind in general it is appointed to man, for man to die once and then after that the judgment so mankind has one life um we have all of our capacities to think you know to make judgments and we're responsible for our for our actions god shows us that we can't possibly um hold that responsibility that's why he always provides a way out um so an, a, a redeemed man is always going to be right with God, whether it's through Jesus Christ's blood on the cross, through the, through the mystery of grace, or it's through the Jewish law, 
um, making sacrifices, making peace offerings, sin offerings, like all those offerings, um, whichever way, wherever, whatever time they were living in that God provided a way out, like that was really the way to go. Um, the ultimate, the ultimate place that man deserves is obviously it's, it's hell that, that fire that was created, uh, for Satan and his angels because of their sin. And that is the, that is the place for mankind. Like mankind deserves that. Obviously with the way, the way out that God provides, we don't have to suffer that. Um, be, it's, and it's not because of us, it's because of him. He gives us that way out for free, basically. Um, so there, there's the hell and then there's the escape from the torment of hell. For those in the Old Testament, let's say, mankind was not open to the concept of, or mankind was not open to the destiny of heaven at that point because there was no shed blood of Jesus Christ. There was not that mystery of the grace of God revealed. So where did they go? Hell has three parts. If you, if you study into it, there's actually three parts to hell. Um, there's the tormented side. There's the comforted side, which is usually called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And then there's the abyss or the great gulf fixed between. Um, sometimes it's called the bottomless pit. Um, and there's actually like Greek words like uh, you'll you'll recognize some of it if you're like uh, familiar with like Greek mythology like Tartarus um, mm. and Gehenna is the I think Gehenna is the tormented side or is that the abyss I forgot I forgot which one it was um, but I'm not getting gonna get in too much of that right now there's a tormented side and a comforted side and the the abyss so those that were let's use the term right with god in the old testament uh, through the prophets even through the new testament matthew mark luke and john jesus said to the thief on the cross today thou shalt be with me in paradise and where did jesus go that day that he died he went down into hell but he went to the comforted side and the tormented side he had some dealings with the people down there, um, with the souls down there. Um, but with man, when they die, our body goes in the ground, our soul goes into wherever we're going. Back then, it was the center of the earth, um, either the tormented or the comforted side. Um, and uh, some of there's actually some people or some beings in the abyss or the great gulf. Um, I'm not going to get into that either because that's more on the topic of angels and the fallen angels and stuff like that. Um, so hell, that's the basic constitution of hell is the three parts. Um, that's for unredeemed sinners. That's for um, the fallen angels. Um, that's for you know the beast and antichrist and everyone like that. Um, in the future. And then there's the other side, heaven, heaven and hell, you know, the clouds and the fire, like whatever people usually say. Um, so then there's the, the destiny of heaven. Heaven is the, in, in my circles of belief in what I've seen in the Bible, it's outside of the universe. 
Um, and that's another topic for cosmology and like the makeup of the universe, which is really interesting. One of my favorite topics um, from like a biblical study, but it's outside of the universe. It's literally separated by a a sea of glass that's called the deep in the Bible. It's called the sea, um, but it's it's outside of this universe, the bounds of the universe. And it's a, it, from a literal approach to the Bible, it's a literal place. There's, we know there's a mountain of God. It's called the, there's a mountain of the congregation. Um, we know the, there's a giant city up there called the New Jerusalem that will eventually come down. Um, and it's, you know, it has, uh, it has lots of color and it has, rivers and trees in it like there's literal things in heaven there's you see literal things in the bible in heaven talking about like doors and windows and horses and like so there's literal things there's god's throne so there's a place called heaven and there's a countryside of heaven there's it's a place you can see and you can know what you're looking at um and in the age of grace, when when God revealed his his plan to Paul for this age of grace of believers, heaven is the destiny of our souls once we die. Uh, you know, someone that's redeemed by the blood of Christ will go to heaven when they die. Um, and we all know that uh, everyone dies. The Bible says their souls go to those two places, either heaven or hell in these days, um, and our bodies stay in the ground. But the, the two places I just talked about are temporary. They're not, they're not made for mankind to go in there forever because there's a destiny beyond that. Um, and that would be a surprise to a lot of people. Yeah, who've exactly. Heard, who've grown up with the idea of heaven and hell. Yeah, that's and that's very true. Um, that surprised me years ago, because you know you always imagine, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to heaven, you know, float on clouds, play a harp, you know, sing constantly or whatever we do in heaven. And that's not true, but <laughs> it's very it's a very real life there, um, uh, and you're not gonna. I guess I could touch on this a little bit. I th I believe from what I've studied that it's you're not going to be like a mindless person that doesn't remember anything. You're going to be fully you because the person you are, your soul, is you. Like that's your personality, your your uh, psyche, like everything about you is like is powered, like is derivative of your soul and like in heaven you're not gonna forget about that you're not gonna you're not gonna be someone different but you're also not gonna have your flaws that the sinful world has caused upon you um so you so you're not gonna i would like to think like jealousy is a big part of everyone's lives like i gotta have this i gotta have this out of like coveting for it or jealousy of not having it you know those desires like you're not going to have that you'll have probably a clearer understanding but i also don't believe that you just automatically know everything when you get there because you have an eternity to learn about everything 
And that's why we are living a life now with a giant book that God revealed to us because we can learn some stuff to get us to that point where we can continue to learn. Because again, the Bible's not everything God wants us to know. It, or the Bible's not, it, it's not everything that God has for us to know. It's everything that he wants us to know now. It's like preschool. You don't, they don't throw, you know, calculus at you. Mm-hmm. They give you addition, maybe. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and I guess on the topic of like that heavenly realm, your body or your soul being there, um, I believe the heavenly realm is also four dimensional. Like, like there's a deeper dimension than what we experience now because of one, there's a passage saying the, the height and breadth and width and depth of heaven. And it also throws in the love of God or the love of Christ into that, like as almost a fifth dimension, but like it adds four physical dimensions to it. I'm just like, that's kind of interesting. Um, but when you look at how this uh, how the earth interacts with the spiritual realm or the heavenly realm or the angelic realm or whatever you want to call it. There's always a way that God, there's even like a passage that talks about like pulling back the veil. And like, I think it was like Elijah, like uh, he pulled back the, uh, God pulled back a veil, like whatever this veil is. And he like Elijah could see like all these angels on the mountain. Like, and it was just like, he like, I get, there's also, like he uh, pulled the veil back or the scales from his eyes and he could see like this, these people that were around him that weren't around him before. And they were, you know, the angelic beings. They're not like winged creatures playing um, harps or whatever, but he could see these beings and, and even like the resurrected uh, body of Jesus. Like he could like just appear into a room but he could also eat food like he would eat fish and honey with them and then he would just like walk through a wall and just disappear so there's like some kind of weird fourth dimensional aspect of that that kind of lends a more like realism to the idea and the concept of that because some people just like think it's some like abstract like experience that your consciousness has but i believe it's, it's very much more real um so that heaven and hell, those actual locations are temporary. And I won't go into too much detail because this has a lot of what's to happen in the future. But a very boiled down sense. Um, I've mentioned this before. God had a plan for the earth and for the heaven. Um, God is was using Israel and will use Israel to reclaim the earth, to subdue the earth back to himself but the mystery of that, the mystery part of that, that uh, Lucifer didn't even know, and probably the angels didn't know either, was that God had a plan for the heavens. And that's not just the third heaven, because he already has that. It's the second heaven. And now I'm going to start sounding like a cult person. Uh, <laughs> because the second, <laughs> the second heaven is the universe. It's the stars, the planets, like all those celestial bodies out there um what we consider outer space right? what we consider the universe the outer, outer space yeah the cosmos um god has a plan for that job fifteen fifteen says the the heavens are not clean in his sight and that's because the that's because satan and his angels are occupying that space and the earth right now 
Um, and in Genesis, when it says, and he created the stars on that day, he never said, and it was good. Like that verse does not have that part. And it's like, well, I wonder why. Mm. Oh yeah. Cause the stars, the universe has those fallen angels in it already. And, um, it's not clean. It's not good. <laughs> um, so he has a plan for the, the heavenlies, and that is, um, that is a purpose for the body of Christ. The believers in this day and age, this dispensation, um, and the, only that information was revealed to Paul, not to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Peter, or any of the, uh, uh, the uh, apostles, or anyone, uh, n- none of the prophets. Jesus never talked about this until he said it to Paul. Um, so in the future, heaven and hell are actually going to be done away with the, the heaven. We know that we die and our soul goes up into heaven and, or our soul goes down into hell. Those are going to be done away with because God's going to create a new heaven and new earth. So the new heaven is going to be, instead of having the third and second heaven, it's going to be back to its original state of the heaven and the earth, as Genesis 1-1 says. So heaven's basically, like the third heaven's basically going to be emptied out because God's throne is going to go on the earth. I'll explain that at a different time. (laughs) Um, And hell is going to be dumped into something called the everlasting fire or the lake of fire. Um, and that is the eternal state of hell. Actually, the Bible says that hell will be put into the lake of fire. Like death and hell uh, were cast into the lake of fire. Where that is, I'm not exactly sure. I've heard people say it's like at the bottom of the universe or creation. I've heard people say they're, it's like through a black hole. I've heard people say it's outside of the heaven and earth, like in outer darkness as the as I think that's probably found in uh, one of the one of the Hebrew epistles or maybe it's Matthew I don't remember but outer darkness it's called um, but uh, and the, there I mean heaven and hell or heaven and hell but hell and the lake of fire uh, it, the Bible says the smoke of their torment rises forever um, so it's it's not a, like a one and done thing. I, it's eternal, just like heaven, just like the the new heaven and new earth. That's going to be eternal as well. Um, where 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 is the believer in all of this? Well, the believer in the age of grace is out. We are, the Bible says that we are seated together with him in the in the heavenlies, and that word the heavenlies means not just the heaven, the third heaven, but also the heavenly places. Um, the stars, the universe. And um, basically, we will take over those, uh, they're called principalities and powers and mights and dominions. Those are just like the angelic uh, ranks in the in the stars and even in the third heaven. There's, there's levels of um, like thrones and uh, stuff like that. There's level of ranks for the angels in the angelic realm in general. Um, but the body of Christ in the age of grace, our destiny is in their place because the the fallen angels will, you know, be done away with. So we're going to replace them in the heavenly places in the universe. 
um, and in during the uh, like we'll be you know okay we'll be in outer space I'm just gonna put it bluntly um, but what about the Old Testament saints like you know the Old Testament people that were not under the age of grace well they're gonna be on the earth because they were promised an earthly kingdom Jesus talked about an earthly kingdom so he's going to bring an earthly kingdom to them, um, not only for his reign on the earth, because that's not the end of it. There's going to be the everlasting kingdom after that, where God himself, the Trinity, is going to be dwelling on the earth. And uh, those, those, uh, those that are saved in the Old Testament way with throughout, you know, sacrifices and whatnot, they'll finally get their full redemption during that end time and go out into eternity living as man does now and they're going to continue to procreate they're going to continue to live those lives but in a perfect way they're the new testament is a, a law god's law written on their hearts so they're not going to be able to sin like that's what the new testament the new covenant is for the for those people for israel and for the nations that follow israel um and they're going to do that forever. And the universe is going to be unending. So there will be unending places to live. And there will be uh, there will be princes, like the 12 disciples are going to be kings. Um, King David is going to be a prince as well. Um, and the angels and the body of Christ are also have a place of rule and reign over all of those. And the body of Christ, the the age of grace believers are actually going to judge the angels. We're going to be over the angels because we are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ as the Bible says. So we're basically going to be like Christ's, like Jesus's ambassadors. Um, but that's the eternal part. Heaven and hell are just like temporary holding places for this eternal prospect, which a lot of people don't really usually see. They usually see heaven and hell. A lot of people do see, you know, Jesus will come back to the earth and that's the end. But that's that's not where it ends. Um, that's not the final state of the the all of reality. There's more after that. Yeah, I think a lot of people like view like the heaven and hell destinations is like final, and then the you know post credit scene is you know Jesus coming back, tribulation and everything. Yeah. And they're like, you know, that's just like, oh yeah, that's what that's what happens on earth, but everyone's, you know. Yeah, exactly. In, and like in their place already. And um some people will see and there's a ton of controversy about this stuff because it hasn't happened yet, so we don't exactly know what it's going to look like or be like. So some I'll even call them dispensationalists will say we're coming back to Christ with Christ on the earth and we're going to rule and reign with him on the earth. And they forget to look out into the stars and say, what's that all about? Um, so like, I think some people miss a picture, miss the, miss the big picture. Um, and you know, some people might have different beliefs than that. Um, I mean, it's probably one of the most like, diverse beliefs in christianity is end times hmm. like the rapture and everything is always up for debate we're going to be raptured before the tribulation we're going to be raptured in middle those are all true actually there's a rapture before and in middle and 
really after um, and after the king the thousand year kingdom as well um, so there's raptures all over the place it's just the matter of rightly dividing the Bible um, that's why I'm such a huge proponent about like rightly divide you know dispensationalism like where where do things get separated um, and eternity destiny like things change pretty easily when you change like where exactly you look in the bible uh, and it can be kind of confusing if you don't look at it right so um I, I think that's really all I have to say about that. Um, there's so much more, like the judgments and stuff to come, um, different judgments and uh, and you know the rapture and second we, coming and new bodies and stuff like that. But that's pr definitely going to be a different time. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be for a, you know, like an eschatological esch eschatology episode. Yeah, or definitely. Something. I do want to say one more thing though, um, because I touched on this earlier and I didn't get to wrap it up because I said our soul goes to heaven and our or hell but what about our bodies those are eventually resurrected um, the body of Christ gets new bodies um, like brand new bodies you know made to go through the heavenlies made to dwell in the heavens um, just like Jesus Christ's uh, resurrected body he could walk through walls and stuff like that and uh, float up into a cloud into the heavens so um yeah bodies come back into play and like i said on the ki in the kingdom like with the people on the earth they will be in bodies you know like i said living just as men live today but more more perfect i, I guess it's not to be pedantic but if there's a fourth dimension you wouldn't necessarily need a body that can go through walls you just have to fourth dimensionally sidestep that wall well and that and that might be the case um three dimensionally we see it them as going through walls but fourth dimensionally it, it could be just sidestepping <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah there's a gap here let me just go through there yeah just go around it you know? yeah yeah exactly <laughs> good point though oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's that's my that's my uh take on destiny personal destiny and i touched overall destiny eschatology kind of yeah so i'm gonna okay. guess yours is nothing like mine <laughs> it uh, pretty much is not <laughs> <laughs> so i'll probably touch on like the the big picture first okay. um because it's probably easier to just tackle that and get it out of the way from a buddhist standpoint the big picture, I think, like, even though I am I'm mainly a Theravadan-focused Buddhist, um, I think the Mahayana has a better, bigger picture. Uh, that is to say that the, theirs is more concrete and explainable, I guess. Um, Theravada... Uh, really is a is focused on you know your personal practice and uh you know attaining liberation practically from from your point of view um but the mahayana uh this is where this is like one of the biggest differences between the two the mahayana focus on this ideal called, called 
the the bodhisattva ideal um and a bodhisattva is etymologically just an awakened being um in theravada teachings you will often hear um the buddha and instead of being called the buddha before he was enlightened um before he was enlightened, he was called the Bodhisatta, which was which is the Pali version of Bodhisattva. Um, so it really means just this uh, an awakened or awakening being. In the Mahayana traditions and the Vajrayana traditions, they have this idea of of practicing a path that is focused on liberating all beings and some of the bodhisattvas you'll hear of like uh like menjushri or or kuan yin or chenrezi you will hear these beings are beings who have reached the point of awakening and has set aside their own liberation in order to pursue a path of helping all sentient beings and there's these bodhisattva vows that mahayana practitioners take which you vow that for the rest of existence you will practice this bodhisattva ideal until all sentient beings are liberated now you may ask how many sentient beings are there well there is an an innumerable amount there's an uncountable amount. So is it practical to say that you will, you know, help all sentient beings? And this is where it, this is where I start I start seeing the line between Theravada and Mahayana kind of dissolve because the ideal is not necessarily the the practical end goal. But it's this this mind this this mental state of this just like profound generosity and compassion for all sentient beings uh liberation from suffering. So because in Theravada you have you also have that idea, this that that generosity generosity and that compassion. Um I mean from a very practical standpoint, the path of practice is so that you bring no harm to anyone, and that is all beings included. Um, so, so Mahayana has this kind of grander, uh, grander storytelling. I think with this, with this very grand idea of uh, liberating all beings from suffering um so that's kind of the you know the the ultimate goal per se um now from, let me ask you a yeah. question like what like what does that look like in the end like if that goal was attained somehow like, would there be any way of knowing or what would that look like or... See, that is a really good question. And that is... That's why I don't consider myself a Mahayana Buddhist. <laughs> okay. Um, because 
there is an aspect of impossibility of liberating all sentient beings an innumerable amount of sentient beings with no end in sight really um it's i mean the aspiration is what's important of thinking this is you know i i want to help all beings do this and in in a way it's it's kind of solidifying a more it it it's kind of a way of cultivating a, a even more profound level of compassion than just say i'm going to do this for myself it's i'm doing this for all beings because it it brings a a very distinct quality of selflessness to it which at the core of buddhism selflessness is an important important like aspect um and so from a more theravada type of approach where you are working you are you are sitting down and working on this path of practice of liberating yourself from suffering um and you will get some Mahayana and Vajrayana lash back against that idea because, oh, that's selfish. Like, you shouldn't be focusing on your own liberation. But there's a level of practicality. You know, you can't liberate other beings. You can help, you can help decrease their suffering um, and help them uh, avoid suffering you may even be you, you they may even be receptive to you teaching the dhamma to them but the buddha said you know enlightened ones buddhas can only point can 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 lead you to the path can point to the path but you yourself must take that path um there's the zen adage of the finger pointing to the moon and people mistaking the finger for what's important but it's really the moon that it's pointing at um so and and so like theravada practices will get kind of a bad rap um they kind of get the short end of the stick in mahayana and vajrayana circles they they actually called theravada the hinayana which is the lesser vehicle which is kind of derogative, um, even though they say that's just that's that's just as you know relevant of a path uh, like that that can lead to liberation, but it might take a little longer and it might be a little harder to do. But um, I don't know. To me, it, there's a much more practical approach to it, and so. And so in the last episode, we talked about, uh, you know, dukkha and liberation and how one might go about walking the path of liberation. We even touched on like the raft analogy. Hmm. And I think you asked in like the first episode, like what what does that idea of liberation look like? Yeah. And 
so it reminded me of a sutta uh and it's not maybe not even a specific sutta but this 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 these phrases that are repeated in many many suttas when when asked about uh about does the buddha exist after death because you know according to the stories the buddha lived was enlightened and then later died and his death is called is usually called uh parinibbana which is like the final liberation and it's like okay where did he go after that and that's where things get kind of weird um especially when you start to understand the buddhist concept of not self which you know posits that what we maintain is a self is actually just a a composite of different non-self qualities that are impermanent. And so, and the body is one of those qualities. Um, And so it's like, okay, you know, the, the Buddha dies, then what, where does he go? And so that question um, gets asked a lot and really tackles the, I think, kind of tackles that the question of what does liberation look like you know what's the what happens after um and in the sutta uh, which comes from oops, sorry goodness spam uh call so this the sutta in question comes from the middle length discourses and it's called the agi vachagota sutta um the English title is to Vachagota on fire. And so this guy, this, this wanderer, uh, Vachagota asks the Buddha, a series of, of very, um, heavy questions. He, and he asks, how does the Buddha hold? Like, do you hold this view and this really like, tackles the ideas of views, um, because one of the ten fetters that bind us to samsara is this idea of of clinging to views. And so the Buddha really stresses the idea of of non clinging to views. Don't hold tightly to views because because they only lead to suffering when you hold tightly to these views. And so this this wanderer is asking the Buddha, Oh, do you like his first question is, is the cosmos is eternal. Only this is true. And anything else is worthless. Do you hold this view? And the Buddha's like, no. And it's like, okay, the cosmos is not eternal. And that's the only, that's the truth. Do you hold that view? He's like, no. And so he just goes through these. Okay. The cosmos is infinite. The cosmos is finite. And the Buddha's like, no, no. And, you know, the soul, you know, he asks about the soul. Is the soul and the body the same thing? He's like, no. Is the soul something different than the body? He's like, no. Um, and so you can see throughout these questions, he, the Buddha refuses to take a stance on a lot of these philosophically heavy questions. And it gets to the point where he asks okay, so after death, the Buddha is existing. And the Buddha says, no. 
okay, so the Buddha is not existing. And he says, no. And, and then he asks, so the Buddha is existing and not existing. And he says, no. And he's like, okay, so the Buddha is neither existing nor non-existing. And the Buddha says, no. In fact, I think the, the, the term he uses is not no. He says, that, is, that does not apply. And so what does that leave us with? Well, yeah, exactly. And so I think like, one, it points to the fact that liberation from our point of view is, is unknowable. It's indescribable in a way. Um, I think the second point that the sutta points to that is perhaps even more important is that it's that ideas of existing or not existing after death of a liberated being like having views of that is not beneficial is not worth your time and so and this is this is kind of where like people kind of like start I don't know, I I can imagine people getting kind of confused as to why don't you have a stance on this? And, I mean, the Buddha refuses to answer them. Like, oh, is is there a soul? Is there a self? Like, even questions about the self, uh, you know, the the concept of not-self, you know, seems like, okay, it points to there not being a self. But the Buddha argues that to answer in the in the affirmative or the negative to questions like that will only confuse us further or mislead us. Um, and so, like when a guy asked the Buddha, "Oh, is there a soul?" He's like, "I'm not going to answer that." And afterwards, his attendants like, "Why didn't you answer that? Like, why did you remain silent?" And the Buddha said, well, if I, if I told him, yes, there's a soul, the man would have gone on thinking, oh, yes, the soul that I believed in is true. But if I told him there wasn't, he would despair thinking, oh, the soul that I believed in is not true and has ceased to end. Um, and it's, a, it's a very interesting, interesting concept. And, um, but the, it simply put the Buddha did not feel the need to answer questions about topics that did not pertain directly to the end of suffering. And so whether the cosmos is this or that, or soul, like what is a soul? Is there a soul? He's like, I don't have a view on that because that's not important. Like that's not pertinent to the, to the matter at hand, which is suffering and the ending of suffering. And so from a practical standpoint you can see that you can say that okay these the, the this example shows that liberation is is indescribable of maybe from a more practical standpoint you can look at what you what you let go of when you are liberated and so i've mentioned before like the 
the stream enterer and the once returner and the non-returner and the arahant which is the, the liberating the liberated being um and when you look at these different levels uh you you see the list of the 10 fetters that the buddha lists and at each progressive level you lose a few you know the, the at the stream enterer level you lose like the first three fetters which i can't remember exactly what they are but it's like the fetter of 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 pleasure or of conceit or something um you know i i should probably know i should have probably taken notes on this but um and so you you see these these fetters being abandoned that's the term you commonly see is that you know, at this level, you have abandoned restlessness or or sloth and torpor or doubt. Um, I think doubt is the last fetter you abandon before you become a stream enterer. And so, so in a way, you know, liberation from a conventional standpoint looks like the abandoning of these fetters um and and when you get into like meditative absorption states the jhanas these states of deep meditation um you see like there's like f four levels four different jhanas um and i i i actually think there's like eight total jhanas um it gets a little a, a little weird but um at you can also see a similar framework in those that like at each level you you gain a positive quality but like the higher you go like after a point you start letting those good qualities go as well until you're left with just equanimity which is the even balanced the even-minded balance uh, view on things. Uh, so I don't know if that gives you any clearer idea. Yeah. There's no like. I, I, I think don't know. the point is there is no clear idea. Like exactly. <laughs> like to be. I guess like your stance is that is you're trying to not have a stance on like what happens like. Once Buddha reaches that last point, like you don't really know and you shouldn't really care. Is that um, right? It's not that you don't know or shouldn't care. Um, like you, I don't know, you might have an idea, but... But you shouldn't cling to those. Those. I was just gonna views. say, like, it shouldn't be something you you should worry about. Yeah, like you, it's not that something... shouldn't be something that you're focusing on. Yeah, and there's there's one there's one sutta I want to uh, read from because there's like this this popular. Um, phrase that the Buddha usually uses as describing the the moment of his awakening 
what he has done and what what has been done and because sometimes when he lists qualities of like awakening or liberation there he lists very many things um and it's just like a really a really good description but um and maybe this will give a little more insight into what it is to be liberated but um cuz in this in the sutta he he kind of walks through the steps he had taken on the on the night of his enlightenment and like going through the different genres what he had what he had abandoned and what he had gained um and so it he said that like when he had abandoned uh when like when he got to that that state of uh liberation he was able to directly recollect all of his past lives um and this will touch on cosmology a little when we get into that about just how far back and what kind of lives he recollected and and then and also like the the knowledge of impermanence um he directly he was able to directly view that and understand and uh so it says uh i mean he like goes on and on about uh about directly knowing impermanence and directly knowing knowledge of the ending of mental fermentations and um and and realizing the four noble truths um this is stress this is the origin of stress this is the cessation of stress this is the way leading to the cessation of stress and he says he says with release there was the knowledge released i discerned that birth is ended the holy life fulfilled the task is done there is nothing further for this world and i think in one of one version or one translation i think it's the translation i have it uses the phrase what what had to have been done has been done or something and so there's this like this feeling of like inevitability almost like like i maybe it's like i have i have set out for this and now it is done and so there's kind of this feeling of okay finally you know the setting down of the raft um and you know it, he directly he directly discerned the thought released and there's like this 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 beautiful uh poeticism to it of 
of discerning released. <laughs> and I think that's like, to me, that's probably the best summation of what liberation might look like. And, you know, some people are like, oh, so you're a despondent and just like bump on a log, just sitting there, like not reacting. But it's important to realize that like because it's interesting how how conditioned we are to thinking that oh the opposite of anger like the opposite of these negative emotions is just despondency just non-reactivity and that just goes to show how like how used we are to those kind of mental states when really like an awakened being is not just I will sit here and you can like poke me and I won't do anything. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe you won't do anything, but it's because you're directly seeing and realizing there's no beneficial response to this. <laughs> but, um, but there's, there is passion. There is, um, I mean, you know, the Buddha describes like generosity and compassion and loving kindness and equanimity. Equanimity is a huge one. And it, that, that's not just, you know, ambivalence. It's, there's a, there's a, a quality to it that, that is, that is good, you know, that is beneficial and wholesome. And so you, you, instead of reacting, you will have a, you will have a perspective of you you will have you'll be at a stance where you can look at things and respond accordingly like there's a dif big differentiation between reacting and responding and so when when you have abandoned all those fetters and defilements and delusion you can respond to things in the in the best way possible and there's a meditation teacher who who uses this this question that I I love like you just drop it through throughout your day throughout your life is what is the most beautiful thing I can do in this moment right now and it's not like some flowery vague thing um, and it's kind of to combat like the kind of strict austere idea of oh what what is the right thing to do you know like I'm gonna admonish myself but it's like no what is the most beautiful thing to do with that will that will result in the most beautiful outcome you know and you know from a buddhist perspective that that is what is in line with the dhamma in the ending of liberation or the ending of uh suffering the cessation of suffering so i don't know if that answered any of your questions um I don't know either. <laughs> I think I think it's because I, I know I know like coming from like the beliefs of like things are literal and like experiencing things will continue kind of like they are now. In my point of view, like we'll have a more richer experiencing things in the in like eternity but it's like a very tactile 
very real you know you can see things you can touch things smell things and taste things um you you can have emotions and uh and from what i understand you're saying is it's more of like a uh i'm not gonna say abstract because you can still be physically there if i'm not mistaken but like it's a mindset of yeah because like if you are a liberated being you can still have thoughts you can still have feelings the biggest difference is you will discern reality as it truly is like you will be able to look at something and say oh yes this is you know like instead of us being wrapped up in ideas of pain and pleasure like the arahant the 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 enlightened person will experience pain pain and pleasure but they won't but the clinging is completely gone so they don't um like get caught up in it and they can see ah this is a conditioned phenomenon it is impermanent um you know, pain arises in your knee and instead of like, oh man, wow, like you, you know, you, it's excruciating. Oh no, all these stories start forming in your mind. Like I better move my knee. Oh no, what will happen if this is, if this pain stays in my knee forever? Like all these like stories we tell ourselves, a, a liberated mind and maybe you, maybe you don't even have to be fully liberated to be able to see that pain arise and say there is pain this is the experience of pain and you can you can abide in equanimity and watch it watch the pain arise continue and then change and even go away and you can recognize the impermanence and also the not self of it you know and also the the aspect of dukkha in it like okay you know this is the, you know, if if you come from a, a, a perspective of ignorance, that is going to create a, a lot of dissatisfaction. You know, all those stories that start bubbling up. But when you see it from an, a liberated mind, perhaps you you know better than to start creating those stories. And you can just experience it directly. So, so like, a liberated being, they could be like... A human in like where we are now like do they like you know when they die like are they reborn as a liberated being or what happens after that life or is it so the idea of being reborn in buddhism is tied up with the idea of of con- continuing suffering so so they wouldn't be reborn really if they were truly liberated i don't know if i can answer that okay um buddha no (laughs) i could say they wouldn't be reborn in samsara which is what we experience now and i mean in that in that sutta i read he even said you know birth is ended and 
the classical idea of of birth and rebirth and death are tied up in the continuance of ignorance and suffering. And so the idea of not being reborn into a samsaric realm, which is, you know, the six realms of existence, uh, humans included, is a good thing. But not being... So being... So not being reborn doesn't necessitate not existing. Okay. Um, Because the Buddha said... You know, existence, non-existence, existence and non-existence, and neither existence nor existence do not apply to a liberated being. Gotcha. And we don't really know. There's no way of knowing for sure what's that like until you reach I mean, that part, that point. Also, you have to you have to maybe take into consideration the the question that people will ask Buddhists: What is reborn? What is being reborn? Because Buddhism does not support the idea of souls or or even a self. Um, right. And so, the most the simplest answer, which might not be a hundred percent on target, is what is reborn is the the karmic experience, the the karmic uh, chain. I guess the there's the cause and effect that is karma. And so generally what is reborn into the next life is the karmic consequences that has been rolling forever. Um, and that's, that's kind of what the goal is. If you use the language of, of, of karma, what you're trying to like the ending of suffering ends the karmic chain as well. Um, but it gets really interesting is like, you know, the story of Angulamala, the murderer, mm-hmm. he, um, you know, he, at the end of his story of, you know, being a murderer and the Buddha comes to him and he gives chase to the Buddha trying to kill him. And he yells desperately. He yells out to the Buddha, stop. And the Buddha's like, I have stopped, but you haven't. And Angulamala like, renounces everything and becomes a follower of the Buddha right then and there. And so he has started the practice of, of creating, uh, conditions in which to end this, that stream of karma, but he still suffered the consequences of his past karma. And so he would go into the village on alms rounds collecting food and people would recognize him and like throw stones at him. And the Buddha says, this is just, you know, this is just karma. Like this is the fruits you have that you have sowed. Like it could be worse. So, you know, like just endure this and practice the path. Um, and, and that's another, uh, another way Theravada and Mahayana, would differ is Theravada is like, you're just going to have to accept all those, all the, uh, you're going to have to experience the, the fruits of your past actions. And Mahayana offers a way of, of retroactively purifying negative karma from before. And hmm. I don't know. Interesting. It's an interesting idea, but yeah, no kidding. that might be um, a good episode, like on karma or, 
you know, reaping the benefits from your actions or whatever, whatever you want. Wow. Well, that certainly shows the contrast in our, uh, in our beliefs there. Um, very interesting. Very interesting. I think there's more questions to be asked, but we're out of time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Maybe we'll pick, pick back up on this, uh, some other time. Like, you know, when we run out of episode ideas. Um, oh yeah. But I for one am just excited that we st- we stuck under an hour and a half. Oh good. <laughs> yeah, this is my time uh time to go. So yeah, really really awesome conversation. Uh, for those listening, please uh, email us if you need to, if you want to, if you want to reach out to us at baptistandbuddhist@gmail.com. Like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave Leave some reviews, all of that. We really appreciate it. And I hope you guys are enjoying the conversations as much as we are, because I know I am. Um, Me too. Me too. And there are more to come. More to come. Much more. So check, uh, keep an eye out for the next episode. Um, And I think with that, we'll wrap it up. So thanks for watching and listening. You have been watching and listening to The Baptist and The Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And we will see you later. Bye. See you next time.